1: Lithium Mining Ain't Green, featuring Kevin Emmerich of Basin and Range Watch. Lithium Mining is back in the news these days, with activists occupying the site of a proposed mine at Thacker Pass in northern Nevada. See episode 53 for my interview with Will Falk, one of the occupiers. So I contacted Kevin Emmerich of Basin and Range Watch to get more details about how lithium mining works and what its ecological effects are in Range Watch is a desert defense group based in Southern Nevada. They track industrial energy development on public lands in the U.S. Southwest and I consider them to be the premier online resource for learning about and keeping up to date with these projects which include solar and wind as well. Kevin and I spoke on January 30th and we discussed the proposed lithium mine at Thacker Pass, other projects at Clayton Valley and Rhyolite Ridge, the massive use of water in such mining operations, the unique ecology of these sites in the desert and the Great Basin, the Desert Renewable Energy Conservation Plan and how it was assaulted by the Trump administration, the prospects for exploitation and conservation of the desert under the Biden administration, the false choice of fossil fuels versus green energy, and the importance of efficiency in reducing overall energy use and pollution. If you appreciate this episode, please share it far and wide on all your social media accounts. This really helps. If you're watching on YouTube, please like, comment, and subscribe. If you'd like to make a donation to the podcast, you can leave me a tip at paypal.me colibri. You can also become a patron at patreon.com colibri, where you'll get early access to most podcast episodes, plus exclusive content found nowhere else. Please feel free to drop me a line through the contact form at radiofreesunroot.com with feedback. And don't forget to check out my blog, Zines and Books, at Maxxgamoksha Press, maxgamoksha.com. See show notes for all these URLs. Today's music is made up of samples created by Dr. Dreamchip, an electronic artist based in Portland, Oregon. See show notes for how to follow their work. Here then is my interview with Kevin Emmerich of Basin and Range Watch. So, welcome back to the podcast. It's great to have you back here again. We had you on originally with Laura in the spring for, I think it was episode number three, where we just talked about renewable energy in general and its impacts in the desert, uh, the industrial sized stuff that they want to put out there. And today, we're going to hone in a little bit more on the subject of lithium and lithium mining.
0: Okay. Yes, that's that's a big topic right now. Very controversial. Right. And um, and there's a tidal wave of of um, speculation and applications and proposals.
1: So there's a whole bunch of different projects that the feds are putting forth right now. On... Yeah,
0: we we're actually um, in a, a, a time now where we have um, probably over fifteen thousand placer claims for lithium mining and exploration just in nevada alone i can't really tell you how many would be in california or other states and then of course we've got a lot of um, exploration happening and that's been going on in the past um, maybe four to five years it's been heavy on different dry lakes and different areas and different geologic formations in nevada and now we're actually at the point as you know um, where one of the largest soft rock lithium mines, one of the bigger ones in the world, was just permitted by the Bureau of Land Management up in northern Nevada, by the Oregon border, and it's called Factor Pass. I mean, I know you're aware of that in the camp that's going on out there, and it's just a big issue.
1: Right. I, I guess I, even though I've I've uh, studied that one, I had somehow missed it. It's one of the largest in the world.
0: That's what they're saying. They're saying it would supply up to a quarter of the world's lithium. Uh, That's quite speculative, and um, in my experience, miners tend to do that so they keep their investors and their stock market folks happy. And so I'm not really sure um, how accurate that would be. Um, In fact, soft rock, soft clay lithium mining does present um, cost issues, and so We'll see how productive they actually are, but they sure are planning to go for it.
1: Right, right. So you, but but this is just one. uh, You said of of fifteen hundred in the state of Nevada.
0: Well, um, more like um, yeah, like they're those are placer claims, and so
1: um, that that doesn't
0: mean. Well, they're just basically mining claims, and they're filed by different companies, and then they get permission under the 1872 mining law on federal land they go exploring and so um there's a lot more you know speculation of what if it's out there and than, than things are actually happening but there are some that have actually found some deposits there's a proposal for um i believe it's a brine lithium mine just north of Tonopah now and that might be the next big one that we start to be looking at under federal review. Um, As you know, there's the Rhyolite Ridge lithium mine, which is more in southern Nevada, south of Sacker Pass, but that particular mine is a hard rock mine, and that, of course, has made um, a lot of news over the rare plant, the Team's Buckwheat.
1: Ah, um, that's right, the Team's Buckwheat, okay. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, and so um, the two most prominent proposed lithium mines are actually the soft clay and hard rock mines, and those are here in Nevada. But the actual mining that's going on right now for lithium in Nevada is in a place called Clayton Valley, which is actually over the hill from over the mountain range from Rhyolite Ridge. And these are brine extraction projects. Um, And they're just put out an announcement that one of the companies is going to double the size of their mine. But from the data we have, they have used 25,000 acre feet of water every year just to keep those mines going, just to evaporate the brine and extract it. So it's had severe impacts to the local aquifers to the point where even the development-seeking Esmeralda County has raised a lot of um, concern over the amount of water that's required for it.
1: Right, and this is something that I think that most people don't consider, which is the use of water in a mining operation. I don't think that comes to people's mind. Uh, But So could you explain a little bit how this particular process works?
0: Well, it just depends on the mine. I mean, first of all, You've got to, for the brine extraction, you have to um, just um, take the water out of the aquifer and then just deposit it in this big, giant um, flat area and allow that to evaporate. And then they essentially scoop it up. That's probably one of the easier ways. And um, I don't have all of the the names of all the chemicals memorized, but they do have to process it um, and. You'll use a lot of sulfuric acid just in order to make batteries out of it. And all of that does require some pretty big copious amounts of water. And then, of course, just the mine itself um, needs water just to mitigate all of the ground disturbance and the dust. Um, And it really eventually, for Thacker Pass, they're going to eventually need 5,000 acre-feet of water a year and they're going to get that out of several wells and um, it looks like that's going to draw down the aquifer um, to a point um, they're going to put monitors the company is claiming that it won't but um, there's just been talk of well local extirpation of spring snail um, threats to the lahontan cutthroat trout that live in creeks below the mine and around the mine like pole creek um it will be significant. Um it's just most water in the desert in the Great Basin, it does get recharged by snow and and um more rainfall than down here in the Mojave, but it's still quite limited. Um and it really raises a lot of issues um for the future of this industry that they're really trying to push forward here in Nevada.
1: Right. And so with the so when you're when you're drying down the aquifer, one of the results that can happen with that is that nearby springs can dry up.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. Um it's called a cone of depression. It's kind of like if you have a bathtub and and the drain is on one end and then the other side of the bathtub starts to go down. I mean it's the same with aquifers. You take it out of several points, um you're actually going to cause a a cone where all the water follows gravity and gets to, and then that creates a drawdown. Um, And so, I mean, on multiple levels, that would have impact on Sacker Pass. Um, It could possibly dry out some of the wet meadows that the sage grouse use. I mentioned the trout and the spring snails, but a lot of those water sources are also really important for a lot of the other wildlife that live there. Um, Sacker Pass is an interesting area. It's located in two mountain ranges that meet. Um, The Montana mountains are um, strategically located between two valleys that are quite developed. Two basins, there's a lot of inhabitants there, so much of the water is already being used for agriculture. Um, If they approve this mine, or if this mine just gets developed and keeps going, it's going to really um probably have an impact on that and everything that depends on it including the people that live in the area
1: right because i was looking at satellite photos of the area and there was lots of green circles you know uh, you know which which shows that there's center pivot irrigation going on out there and there wasn't really any green except in these irrigated sections
0: yeah, I, mean, I don't have the numbers of how much water is used by each of those basins. But yeah, they're um, basically using um, quite a bit of it to sustain an agricultural community. And so um, the area of Thacker Pass is really a relic. That's the leftover of what hasn't been developed and um, the agriculture in those two Basins have kind of constricted the wildlife into that area. If they develop the mine, it's not going to leave too much area for the, the wildlife to go. And so, it's a it's got many cumulative impacts associated with.
1: Right, and this that's that's the case with a lot of these types of developments that happen. Meaning. Solar and wind, as well as these lithium mines, is that in many cases, the area that's being developed, you know, quote, developed, is an area that has uh, escaped other kinds of development up until now. And if it's not pristine, because there's really not much that's pristine, it's at least far less impacted than other areas. And so there's this irony that some of the last. Uh, bits of, of wild habitat that have managed to survive mining and ranching up till now will get taken out by, quote, green energy.
0: Well, yeah, and that's, that's the whole um, issue with Sacker Pass. It, it's interesting how many people um, really look to this mine and see it as kind of a lifeboat for humanity, but we're just not seeing that. We're seeing that it's it's really... um pretty much driven by economics and the amount of impact that it's going to have to both wildlife and people we don't think makes it worth it to put in that particular location. Um, The water issues um, for the people there are another one that that really should be talked about because they are going to use sulfuric acid on site. Uh, to create lithium batteries. Um, if we get contamination in the water there, I mean, we don't only hurt the wildlife, we have a public health issue as well. So it's a serious operation. Um, there's not much green about it. I mean, they're going to run use diesel fuel trucks. Um, they say they're going to use electric cars, but they're going to... I'm, let, me, let me rephrase that. They're going to use electric trucks to haul things around, but they're going to use um, probably a couple hundred gallons worth of diesel fuel a day just to run the um, the plant to process the the lithium batteries and the sulfuric acid. That's quite a bit of um, um, energy and and water that they're using for it.
1: Right, because there's not. Uh, my impression then is that is that the reason they weren't they need the diesel for the generators is because there's not grid power at that location, and they're not going to build it out to that location. And when it comes to this type of lithium mine, which is where they're 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 well, they're digging a pit, right? Is that what they're doing?
0: It's going to be about like a, a large open pit, about like a couple square miles worth of it.
1: Right. Right, and this one is considered a greener method of doing this kind of thing because they're being required to fill the pit back in afterwards.
0: Well, yeah, they had a a no backfill alternative so the LM did pick this, and and it cost the mining companies more to do that. Um, But the, the question is, is once that pit hits the water table, I mean, how much is that actually going to um, concentrate chemicals and minerals in, in the local aquifer as well? So the backfilling is is a better alternative, but I mean, it's like got like a forty-five year lifespan, and so it's going to do a lot of damage um, in between those times.
1: Right, right. And then, have you ever seen um, yourself, or do you know much about uh, how this has worked in the past with backfilling these? Uh, kinds of operations and and how well that works?
0: Um, I've seen in my local area um, gold mines that have been backfilled. And um, I will say that um, they have done an adequate job of restoring the topography. But um, as far as restoring the native vegetation, the soil is so disturbed that the the vegetation that grows back are usually plants that are um, Thriving on disturbance, they're not invasive weeds. They're um, salt bushes, but it's actually really altered the ecology of the area when they do that. When they use the um, the waste rock to actually restore the topography, because the soil chemistries were quite the same. Right. So I, I, be- I. Oh, go ahead.
1: No, just because I'm just I'm just thinking about you know how any place, you know, including a desert ecology that, you know, the the top few inches or a few feet of an area of soil are quite different than what you find underneath. And in that top layer, you're going to have all sorts of things going on. That's where your seed bank is going to be. That's where any mycelial networks are going to be happening, this and that. So if you're completely destroying and removing all of that and then filling an area back in, it's like, well, those layers are not being replaced in that way. So now what is on the top is not, it's not that rich, you know, layer that it was before. You can't expect like the old ecosystem to suddenly just pop out of, of the filled in area.
0: It would be transitional and it would probably take like a hundred years or so in an arid environment for the ecology to restore itself. But if they um, alter the mineral composition of the soil too much, It may never come
1: back right right it would be a completely different mix of things that would be growing there at that point yeah right right and so and and i know that one of the things i've heard about that area up there at thacker pass is that you've got a lot of uh sage uh big sage plants and including uh what what have been called old growth sage and that these are very uh, uh you know these these plants are over 100 years old in some cases
0: Yeah, I went out there in December, and it it was pretty amazing to see that. Um, You you do see um, relic areas in the Great Basin where you still find old sagebrush, but they're disappearing, Um, and a lot of them have been hammered by um, either cattle grazing or other types of development, and that size of sagebrush just isn't as common as it used to be, and so... um, it is a really unique area, and it, it is a, um, a habitat that has escaped a lot of that impact in the past. Of course, up until now.
1: Right. Right. Now, you've been following other lithium developments around the state too. Could you tell us about some of that?
0: Um, there's not a whole lot to tell because it's mostly been exploration. Okay. And like I say, there are there are um, there are two mines that I know of that are in the works An additional, in addition to Thacker Path. Um, the biggest one is the Rhyolite Ridge Mine by the Australian company Ioneer. And um, that would be a significantly large mine. And that would be a one-mile, one-square-mile open pit. It would be in the heart of the habitat for this teams buckwheat that only grows on 10 acres. Um, we went out and saw the buckwheat a few times. I've seen it before and after the big incident in August where there was uh, um, alleged vandalism on the plants where about almost half of them were destroyed either by animals or wildlife. There's a big debate of what, what actually caused that. But I think what's happened in the, the news has actually um, really focused on this debate of what caused the damage and um, they're not talking as much about the actual mine and um, there's still over half of those plants left but if they construct that mine out there that open pit's literally going to remove most of the habitat and that will cause an extinction but the the situation is far bigger than that and the silver peak range of the Pretty unique area, um, one of those isolated Great Basin mountain ranges, and it has pretty good populations of other wildlife that inhabit that area. Um, We've gone out there and seen bighorn sheep numerous times. Pronghorn will go up into the rhyolite ridge area, even though it's not very flat, and it's home to several raptors. Um, it's going to have the same battery processing plants on it. It's going to have power lines built up to it to power it. Um, They're going to really disturb and dig up that landscape. Um, It'll have severely bad visual impacts. And um, it's not too far from some Native American cultural sites. And I don't know exactly what's on the site, but... um, it wouldn't be out of the question to assume that that's going to have a, a controversy with traditional Native American cultural sites and landscape. So Rhyolite Ridge will be, if, if approved, a huge one. It'll be a huge impact. And um, we hear that the BLM is going to put out a um, federal register notice for this sometime in March. Not sure exactly if that's going to happen But um, they are trying to push it through. There is a a real push to get lithium out of Nevada. Even the governor, Governor Sisowak, did a state of the state address um, nearly a week ago. And he basically said he's going to have one of the senators introduce a bill to maximize lithium mining in Nevada. And I would assume that would mean streamlining Nevada permitting for that because they... They have to get permits from the state for air quality, water pollution, um, and just to secure the water rights, just to build those. And we believe that the governor will probably streamline all of that. So, yeah, this one has a lot of, of people watching from both sides. Center for Biological Diversity, in my opinion, did a really good job making the team's buckwheat very popular they even had t-shirts made <laughs> for cool. all you know the people that were were fighting it and so or, or for trying to protect it and requesting endangered species status for it so um there's a lot of attention on that one at least um but what actually happened we'll see
1: right um, yeah no i so thought
0: i, I wanted it there was one other project uh-huh. and it's just north of Tonopah and it's something that I keep hearing coming up again and again um, and it would, it would be on the dry lake out there and um, I don't really know the size of it. I'm going to have to go look that up but they are looking at water rights. Um, they just did a survey out there and determined no sensitive or endangered species would be harmed by the mine so you get the idea. Um, right. As far as Other mines in the area, um, I think it might be significant to look to California and um, Panamint Valley, which is just, uh, well, part of it's in Death Valley National Park. But the south end has a fairly extensive large playa and dry lake. And a lot of the sediments and minerals from that come from a pretty high mountain range, the Panamint Mountains. And um, there is a, lithium explorer from Australia out there who's really um, serious about it. And they've done three or four exploration wells out there. Um, If that should happen, it would be a disaster. A brine project out there could use something like 10,000 acre feet of water. I mean, that's going to have severe impacts if it would happen. Um, A couple others that I can talk about There's another one in California on the other side of Death Valley, and it's a fairly large exploration, and it's called the Franklin Dry Lake. And um, I don't know what they're planning on that, but it's very actively going on right now, and people are really looking for it. Um, So what else can I answer about that?
1: So, so the that one, the one by Death Valley, there, that'd be like on the east side of the three ninety five over there in California, like south of Owens Lake, kind of, or.
0: Well, actually, no. That would be more on the, kind of by the Nevada border, by the Amargosa Valley. It oh, okay. Would actually be on the opposite side. The Owens Lake is more closer to the Panamint Valley side. Okay. Um, I don't know currently of other, um, speculations. There might. There probably are. We're probably going to hear about a lot more of them, but it is expensive to mine lithium, and it it is problematic, and I don't know if they're just going to have the boom they want, but they sure are pushing back or And There's just a lot of claims. Um, there's a lot of eyes on the California desert. Um, there's been a recent attack on, the, it was by the exiting Trump administration, on the Desert Renewable Energy Conservation Plan. Right. I wanted and, to ask you about that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that, that plan was really finalized in 2016. And um, what it basically did is it created close to 6 million acres of different types of conservation areas in the California desert. And then it also created about 400,000 acres of what they call development focus, where they would concentrate renewable energy, but in terms of lithium, a lot of the conservation areas were areas that miners were interested in. What we hear is one of the people who pushed the Trump administration to reform it was the company that is seeking to mine lithium in Panamint Valley, and so. Um, That plan, um, if it could get reformed, could actually make it a lot easier to permit something like that in what was a conservation area. The the DRECP was not a perfect plan. Um, When it was created, it did allow development caps and it allowed um, limited exploration in some of these conservation areas. And so they were legally allowed to go explore for lithium in Panamint Valley after the DREC plan was passed. Um, a lot of the environmental groups, including us, opposed it. We asked them to deny their permit application. But they went ahead and did it. Um, they're not going to tell us, of course, what they found out there. But there's worry that they're still interested. Um, other areas in the California desert that um, were limited by li- to lithium mining by the DRECP or the Cadiz area, and that's an area where they do want to um, take some of the water out and pipe it to Los Angeles. But there's actually some limited lithium and borax mining going on down there right now. Um, then there's the Bristol Dry Lake, which is actually an active borate and lithium mine and then trona california um, they mine different types of borates but there is some lithium mining going on out there so there's limited stuff happening but if they can get away with the drecp reform they're going to be able to go and explore a lot more of the dry lakes and playas in the state of california um We don't want that to happen. We never thought the DRECP was perfect, but we'd hate to see the 6 million acres of conservation areas be compromised. And I think the plan, the new plan, attacks close to 2 million acres. Um, So we're asking, like sending letters to the newer interior department. We're just saying, just throw out this new proposal. I mean, we never liked the DRECP completely. But what this proposal does it takes a lot of the conservation element out of it so it just essentially would turn it into a a mining and renewable energy plan
1: right um, so so basically the DR ECP was a plan where it was like regarding public lands in just in California or
0: yeah, it's a California plan, right?
1: Okay, just in California, and saying, here's the places where energy development can happen, and here's the areas where it can't, basically,
0: right. right. And they gave a lot more areas to the conservation community than they did to the developers. And so, as an organization, though, we don't really want to see the large scale anywhere. We want to concentrate it on more developed areas. So, We weren't too happy with the 400,000 acres, but it turned out to be what it turned out to be, and weakening it right now is just not a good thing, given that the the Biden administration is really pushing to develop a lot of these resources. Um, We are hoping that the rivalry between the two administrations will cause the Biden administration to just throw out this new plan, but we're a little worried about it as well, um, because we know a lot of the developers are lobbying to get it changed. And um, um, in terms of renewable energy, the transmission is closer to the point of use in the California desert than it is here in Nevada. And in terms of mining, the lithium is located where it's located. And um, we believe that, you know, a lot of those miners are interested in California. In fact, the Salton Sea. It's probably going to be the next lithium hot spot. Really? Um, be- there's a lot of talk about from the California Energy Commission about creating a, a lithium plan down there. And I doubt it would affect, you know, some of the important bird areas, but it's just areas all around there. You've been down there and you know there's a lot of dry lake um you know that it probably there probably is quite a lot of lithium in that area, and it's something that we're just gonna keep watching. but I think if you follow the news in the next year or so, um you're gonna see more proposals to mine lithium down there. um I think it was twenty ten that somebody did wanna build a lithium mine down there, and it was just too water intensive. I'm not a hundred percent sure about that. Right, But um, I do know that right now that that area is a real hot spot for lithium um, speculation.
1: Right, right. So then just one more note about the D, uh, DRECP. So so, so the, the Trump administration proposed, well, they, they did their gutting of that like kind of at the 11th hour is what I remember right before Trump went oh, out yeah. of office. Like it was January something, you know, um, and, you know, So the problem being that, of course, the people who wanted to see that plan got it, the big energy development companies, including the big, you know, solar people and wind and lithium, those are all people who also contribute to the Democratic Party and to the Biden administration. And so they would have been uh, lobbying the, the Biden administration to change this plan anyway, under 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 and so so the, the 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 fear at this point is that well they just got, you know, more of what they wanted under Trump and you know given that the reputation of these industries is so undeservedly positive, you know, among the public, you know, that there's very little uh, there's very little um, reason for the Biden administration to un-gut it so to speak
0: That's true, and um, one thing that really backs that up is is right after the plan, the the update to the plan was released a few weeks ago in January. Now, um, the American Wind Energy, excuse me, the American Wind Energy Association came out in praise of the plan. They actually said this is a good thing because they've always wanted access to um, the Eastern Sierra more, and the DRECP does limit that. Um, We think it's kind of a pipe dream for them because the military really objects to wind turbines throughout the entire California desert. Um, As far as the Biden administration um, listening to this and weakening the DRECP, we're thinking they won't. We're thinking that it's just gonna be a rivalry issue with the Trump administration, and they'll probably cancel it. But every time I say that, some of my friends remind me of how persuasive some of these developers are. And um, Chuck Schumer, Senator Schumer recently made a proposal, and he's asking Biden to declare climate change a national emergency. Now, that's a good idea, right? That sounds like a really cool idea. But he compared it to the border wall that Trump did. And Trump declared that a national emergency. Um, That actually further waived a lot of environmental regulations. And so um, climate change, of course, is really scary this last summer in my opinion, it was one of the um, more severe examples of, of the devastating effects of it. We even saw it here in the desert, in the Mojave National Preserve. But I still think that's a terrible reason to weaken environmental laws. And I'm hoping that when they review this EIS for the DRECP, they don't give some of it away um, because somebody really needs that transmission line there or that solar project there, I'm hoping. Um, I just think that there's two things that can unfold here. Um, The Interior Secretary does have the authority to cancel a NEPA review. It's in writing. It's in the Code of Federal Regulations. And the, the new one will The acting one could do it, and the new one, Deb Howen, when she gets confirmed, could do it. She can just completely cancel it. However, I'm seeing some of the other environmental organizations really go into the document, and they're trying to tear it apart, and they're trying to save their favorite areas. And I'm worried if they don't all get together and ask the Interior Secretary to cancel it, that it'll end up in some kind of compromise, And so the goal that we have is just to leave those conservation areas alone. We've lost enough. And so we think that um, it would be really beneficial if all of the groups got together and just went to the interior secretary and said, stop this. And we hear they are, and they're just kind of not doing it with us. So we've, we've did it. We've done it independently. We've reached out ourselves. Um, And the Biden administration um, put out some pretty bold language about using public lands to fight climate change. And mm. they, they're they doing this 30% rule. Have you heard about this where they want to no. preserve about 30% of all of the land in the country? I think it's public land, and they want to do a conservation measure on that. Um, that's pretty bold. It's really big. And um, I think that they're on the right track saying things like that. Um, But in in the same order, they demanded that more public lands be used for renewable energy and and mining of those minerals. Um, So when the last COVID bill was passed, they slipped in um, an old proposal, that uh, a congressional and Senate bill that they couldn't get through called the Public Lands Renewable Energy Development Act. And um, that COVID bill now put into law a requirement to produce 25 gigawatts of energy on public land by 2025 or increase what we have about fivefold. So that's a little bit depressing. I don't believe the order did anything specific to lithium mine. I'd have to look at it again. It may, may have, but um, because every solar project now has a battery storage element, um, they're really seeking large amounts of lithium to create those lithium ion batteries. And then, um, you know, Thacker Pass is being called a, a mine for electric vehicles, and that's a whole new game, right? But um, they are going to use a lot of the lithium for battery production that will be used in the storage facilities of large-scale solar. And so um, we have written letters to the Biden administration. Um, We've asked them to consider these policies. But what we found a little bit of a letdown in that recent order is that they didn't try to, say, use brownfields first, use rooftops first, use disturbed lands before they said, you know, use public lands. I mean, public lands are... Specifically called out in this order, and so that does scare us for the implications of the future of what that means.
1: Right, right. Yeah, no. It doesn't. It doesn't sound good. And there's not much encouragement if we look back to the last time that Biden was uh, in power, which was as Obama's vice president, because that administration was responsible for a lot of the public lands development for their renewables.
0: Yes. And, um, you know, he basically is revealed um, now in this administration that he um, kind of was one of the designers of those plans. And so um, one of the things that he said in the campaign trail that he was going to bring back was the Department of Energy loan guarantee program and the treasury grants. Um, and that basically was, they gave a lot of money out to renewable projects. And the ones that started to produce energy, they got the loans forgiven, basically. I mean, they gave out billions of dollars to these projects. Ivanpah, that got like $1.8 billion. Um, There's one down in Riverside, Desert Sunlight, that got $4.5 billion of a subsidy just to build it. And so um, he hasn't done that yet, Biden. He hasn't done a new round of that. I'm not sure if it's going to take Congress um, to pass that. But when they start funding this stuff, I think it's really going to take off. I mean, they can pass all of the laws that they want. But once they start offering free money, basically the developers they're going to line up for it and they're going to probably um demand some innovation and in storage that seems to be what they're talking about and that brings back the lithium and so that brings back the battery banks and uh, we believe that large-scale projects that have intricate storage elements are going to be the ones that will receive those doe loan guarantees
1: Right. Right. So when it comes to, you know, whenever the topic comes up of, oh, look at the negative impacts of solar, of wind, of lithium, of lithium mining and all this, there's a reaction, as you know, that always comes up of like, well, what are we supposed to do? Isn't it all better than fossil fuels? And so what is the, so, so as if there's just the two options and obviously that's a false choice. So maybe we could um, wrap up today just by talking a little bit about why that's a false choice and and what the other options are besides expanding our industrial energy base.
0: Well, I think when we talk about going 100% green, we often don't talk about any type of lifestyle changes that might be required to back that up. And so I believe that many people who have a a vision of a green economy might be seeing a false future. They want to maintain uh, the, the level of, of energy use that they always had, but they just want that backed up with renewable energy. And um, fossil fuel energy, as dirty as it is, is high density, and, and it can sustain that type of waste. Um, nuclear energy can sustain that type of waste. But both of those have um, severe environmental and, and public health implications now. Um, renewable energy, it's, when it's built um, to the extent that it is, um, it, it needs so much land just in order to produce what they think are the same amount of megawatts that they can get out of fossil fuel. And and because of that, um, we have to wonder. I mean, it's showing us directly how our energy footprint hurts the environment. You can literally look at a large-scale solar farm, and and probably and well, and at a lithium brine operation, and you can see they go on for. Um, several square miles. And and you can see that that is not really um, something that we want to cover the world with to sustain this amount of energy waste. And so I think we do have to ask ourselves, um, are we really talking about energy conservation like we should? Um, They want to power the entire vehicle fleet of Nevada, including trucks. With electric, it would be interesting to see if they could pull that off. Um, I'm not sure if they're technically there yet, but they want to put charging stations in extremely remote areas. And um, I'm just wondering, um, can electric batteries for can batteries for electric cars um, sustain our same level of transportation use and waste? especially in times like winter when we're running heaters can it sustain it like fossil fuel. And so when we talk about going green, going completely green, going 100% renewable, are we thinking about all of this? Um, are we thinking about the, the level of energy that we use? I thought we got a pretty good lesson with COVID-19. It certainly wasn't the way any of us wanted to learn that lesson, but they shut us down in, you know, February, March, April. And um, a lot of those emissions went down. The air quality of Las Vegas, Nevada was beautiful. It was clearer than I've ever seen it before. We didn't see any plane trails in the sky. Was that the lesson of going renewable? If we go renewable, are we going to have to give up A lot of those comforts a lot of those luxuries and um, the idea that we can go completely renewable and sustain that level of waste in my opinion might be an illusion and um, it might just be a big economic um, you know surge and to, to ship the economy to a more renewable lifestyle. So what are the solutions? And I, I think I just said one of them, and that is to um, use less, to take lessons from, from other cultures that just aren't completely addicted to appliances and electric devices all the time. The question is, you know, if we're having this existential emergency with climate change, um, is it, if it's is it emergency enough to give some of those luxuries up, or to at least think about it, and at least not have as many space heaters and television, I think that's one of the better solutions. Um, but as far as if if we need lithium for batteries, um, they're going to go ahead and they're going to take it. And so, um, I think about the commercial aspects of something like the Thacker Pass mine. And, and they're going to take tons of lithium out of there, you know, and they're going to send that um, even to China, according to some of the sources that I'm reading. And is that really being um, mined to save the planet, or is it just a new economic boom? And so um, alternatives we've, we've talked about are, are kind of... Um, getting a little bit more complicated. Um, For one point we were just kind of getting away with saying we just need to put solar on rooftops and we'll just have the rooftop solar economy. But it's becoming pretty obvious that we have to back that up with storage and that creates a demand for lithium too. And so my solution to this is we need to slow down. We're just using too much. Um, I'm even going with the, the Jeff Gibbs planet of the human solution, where I think we've just overpopulated our planet. And if we could practice a more zero population or even below that, we could get into a more sustainable lifestyle. But at this point, with a capitalist culture that really encourages us to use more and more to grow an economy exponentially... Um, we can't really do that and go 100% renewable. I don't think it's even physically possible. I'm not, there's a lot of lithium out there, but extracting it is a trick. And um, Lithium's a, a, an abundant element. Um, I know they're talking about now mining it off the seafloor, and that's going to have some really big environmental impact as well. But in reality, there's not a lot of places where you can extract lithium. And so can we run our society completely on lithium batteries? Is that even possible? Do we have the technology to do that? Those are the questions that we have to ask ourselves, not just blindly say, well, the sun's just going to shine down and it's free all the time and we can just produce energy. We need critical rare earth elements just to do that. And so often those elements need heat to process, and it takes a lot of fossil fuel to do so. Is that really the way we want to go? Because I don't think it's going to work. I think it's going to boom and bust.
1: Right. And in Africa, where some of these elements are mined, there's also uh, child labor and even child slave labor that's involved. So there's that whole end of things, too.
0: Yeah, I mean, it just gets down to a human rights issue. A lot of the people that are um, supporting some of the lithium mines here in the U.S. are bringing that up. And and I think that is a valid point. I mean, um, as bad as we can be on environmental law, they're still not quite that bad with our, our population. Um, but on the other hand, I still think it comes down to Um, Whether we get it out of our land or whether we colonialize another country and culture and get it out of their land, um, we have to address our waste of resources. We just can't keep going on like this and say 100% green. That's hypocritical. It just isn't going to work that way.
1: Right. Well, and one thing um, that you didn't mention explicitly, although you sort of implied it, was uh, efficiency as well. In that, you know, it it if it costs, it takes a lot more resources to heat a home or to keep a home cool. You know, if it doesn't have any insulation or if the insulation is really poor, you know, I mean, I've I've lived, you know, for example, in uh, like trailers and like uh, airstreams before, and uh, they're much harder to keep heated and keep cooled than uh, what I'm living in right now is a, a, a straw bale house and I'm using far, Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it was on the property here, and it's a small house, but it still has much more square footage than an Airstream does, but I'm using far less wood to heat it than I did the Airstream or, like, the school bus that I lived in once because, you know, a, a school bus is even more poorly insulated than, a, um, than an Airstream is, you know? And so I see this, you know, uh, urge to... Um, you know, create jobs, you know, have a job program or something like this, you know, people have been calling for a, you know, civilian conservation corps and like maybe call it a civilian climate corps to be brought back, you know, and, you know, well, this would be one thing to do is, is you know, there's, you know, how many millions of homes, you know, and businesses in the United States that just need insulation blown into their walls?
0: Yeah, yeah. Um... You know, I uh, equal story of that is I lived in Death Valley <laughs> National Park uh-huh. for what, 11 years. And when I got there, they put me in a trailer.
1: Oh, gosh. All it
0: had was a swamp core. And that was hell. Yeah. I mean, we can get below 95 in there. But then I moved up the hill to one of the apartments made out of cinder blocks of so much thicker walls. Uh-huh. And I was able to survive there 11 years with just a swamp core. <laughs> A 120, 25 degree heat, <laughs> it was able to actually get by because of the insulation of the building. I totally agree with that. Um, the refrigerators and freezers could really be retrofitted and designed to save energy. Um, It's it's the simple fact that cool air goes down and the vertical freezer saves a lot more money than just the freezer on top of the refrigerator. things like that that they really could think about and they could really um, just start saving that energy and start using less. Um, So so I, I just think we have a long way to go, but the idea that we can maintain the waste with, with green energy. If we could do that, it's going to take all the lithium we can literally extract, and it's going to take all the open space that we have out there. If, if we start to um, think about that and use a little bit less, um, we're not going to just be confronted with these conflicts all the time. <laughs>
1: Yeah, I mean, everyone, I think, recognizes, you know, how destructive a clear-cut is, but people don't think about the destruction of a desert ecosystem in the same way, although in the case of a mine or or a large solar array, it's arguably more destructive to that particular footprint than a clear-cut is.
0: Yeah, it just really depends on location, um, and it just... um, really like many of the mines they're pretty big but the open pit itself might not even be as big as the solar fields and so the amount of land cleared for a solar field is is very significant it's one of one of the biggest um impacts that I have ever seen um but the the new impact of of extracting lithium um using pretty toxic chemicals like, you know, burning sulfur on the site, creating bad air quality. I mean, it does take it to a new level of impact. And it's ironic that it's backing up the green economy.
1: Right. Right. Absolutely. So I really get a lot out of the regular posts that Basin and Range Watch puts out on Facebook. So that's one way that I really encourage people to follow you, if they are on Facebook, that they should follow Basin Range Watch because you have stories out, well, basically every day, several several stories. And there's things that I see there that I don't see anywhere else. Do you want to tell us about uh, your website or any other resources you know of to keep up with these issues?
0: Um, well, yeah, we're very active on Facebook and Twitter and social media, um, and we do try to update the news on our, our website. Our website is www.basinrangewatch.org. Um, we um, are planning, actually, on doing a event out at one of the solar ground zero areas um, in about a month, and we'll put out more details, and we're going to actually invite people out. There will be a social distance COVID safe event, but we're also going to put it on Zoom. And then we're going to have a um, pretty much a virtual event. And we're going to talk about the impact to that specific area. Um, A lot of the new um, rules and regulations that we're looking at that are going to impact public lands and renewable energy and renewable energy and lithium mining in general. So people might want to um, tune in and follow us to get more details on that pretty soon.
1: Great. Well, thanks so much for talking to me today, Kevin. I really appreciate it.
0: Okay. Well, thank you for having me on here. I really appreciate your podcast and the work that you're doing.
1: Voices for Nature and Peace is produced in the Gila River Valley, New Mexico, USA on land that we acknowledge is illegally occupied apache territory the intro music is zero g yogi by big z with narration by kelly moody of the ground shots podcast this outro music is trip a also by big z commercial break narration by Nikki hill to become a financial supporter of this podcast And to gain access to members-only content, visit patreon.com slash colibri, K-O-L-L-I-B-R-I. For more information on Radio Free Sunroot programming, please visit radiofreesunroot.com. Thank you for listening. May you find joy in your own nature and peace.